I listened to the sessions that were before with the Slishers and then with Alex Seidler and then with my former boss and friend, Tom Brazell, and I'm going to kind of speak along the lines that Tom Brazell did, meaning he talked about Samaria. He talked about reaching out to people you don't like, not that Christians don't like somebody, but um, I want to focus on the heart of missions. What is the heart of missions? To do that, I want to talk about God first, because that's where it all begins. Um, and I'm going to try to keep this message something that will both keep you awake, but more than that, that will actually give you something to go away with. I don't want you just coming in tonight and going, well, okay, good, good word, and go home and that's it. The whole point of missions emphasis is to see if God can't stir something in your heart. If God can't stir something into your life. If you can't go away from this time different. Now, I was a student here a thousand years ago. And I remember Missions Week well. And by the end of the week, I was like, oh my God, if I hear it one more time, I know I need to go on the mission field. Um, there was a brother here, a teacher then, who used to have the opinion that unless God specifically tells you not to go, plan on going. And I was like, please speak. <laughs> so I'm going to try to, I want to get beyond all the questions of, am I called? Should I go? Where do I go? What does God want from me? And get first to the heart of the issue. So I'm going to start with one of my favorite verses. Uh, it's a verse that people that go to my church have heard me read a thousand times, Psalm 145, verse 8. And it says this, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. Now, maybe those words don't speak to you like they do to me, but the words slow to anger, that's good news. There's been a lot of times where if I had been God, I would have struck me dead instantly. I would have gone, sorry, delete, bye. But God is gracious. And, and the, the phrase, full of compassion, he's not just compassionate, he's full of compassion and slow to anger and great in mercy. The, the, this, this verse is powerful. Now, in my years as a Christian, going back to my earliest days, I've had people say to me, if God were compassionate and gracious and, and merciful, he would never send people to hell. No loving, compassionate, caring God would condemn a person to hell for all eternity in suffering and misery. That's not a loving God. But they're, they're not understanding the heart of God. And this is the problem. And I, and I have an answer for them. It's in Ezekiel chapter 18, and it starts in verse 30. And God is speaking to Israel, and the first sentence is very, shall we say, eye-opening. Ezekiel 18.30 says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one of you according to his way, says the Lord God. The good news is that's not the end. 
It doesn't stop with that sentence. But that's a powerful sentence. God does say judgment is coming based on what you did. And if it was just that, I'd be like, "Uh uh-oh. But then it continues. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin, so that your sins won't destroy you. Turn and repent. Verse 31, cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed. And even in the Old Testament, even saying judgment is coming, he says, and get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? You need to hear the heart of God. He is saying judgment is coming. But he's saying, why should you die? Why turn and live? And then he says this very powerful sentence in verse 32. For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. And the truth is, God only condemns to hell, to eternal punishment, those who reject his mercy, who refuse his compassion, who say to him, I'm not going to stop sinning. What people don't realize is God is giving them exactly what they've chosen and what they want. And and God in this verse, he, he says the truth about himself. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Why? Because his heart is filled with compassion and mercy. And if you don't put those two together, you're missing the whole point of the Ezekiel passage. He's saying, I don't want you to die. And over and over, the, the words keep, keep saying it. And, and I hope you hear it. Do you hear God's heart? Turn and live. Don't die. D- just turn from your sins and I will keep you alive. There will be no judgment. If you can't hear in those verses his love and compassion, then you don't know what he's saying. And God, in the it just amazes me. He keeps saying, turn, repent, live. And I hear those words, live. God is saying, I want you to live. The Lord God, compassionate, full of compassion, slow to anger. God only judges and condemns people who reject his salvation. Now, the reason I'm starting here is because not only has God made a way of salvation for us, But he's actually pleading with them. Turn. Repent. Because his heart is broken for them. His heart is so moved with compassion that he's looking at them and saying, Don't die. I I didn't create you to die. I didn't create you to be judged. I didn't create you to, to go to hell. I want you to live. So all you need to do is turn and I will give you compassion. There's no judgment coming. And what people don't understand is God is not filled with anger. He's not up there looking to punish people. He's not standing up there going, boy, I hope you mess up. You're going to hell, buddy. That's not his heart. And people are like, well, if God was loving. No, it's because he's loving that he's trying to save you from hell. Now, you do have to do it on his terms. But to begin understanding missions, you have to see the heart of God full of compassion, full of mercy, full of such love that he will do anything. Now, the next image that I want you to see of God is in the story called the prodigal son. Now, 
the, the passage that Jesus talks about shows us something about God that, that few other passages really bring out. And, and I absolutely love the story in Luke chapter 15. I'm going to start with verse 17. And the, the son has already gone. He's messed up royally. He took all of his inheritance. He wasted it on sinful living. Just, just, just be, be honest. He, he probably did the worst of the worst things, wasted everything the father gave him. Now he's a beggar. He's feeding pigs. He's dirty. He doesn't have anything but the clothes on his back. He's so hungry, he would gladly eat the food of the pigs. And this is where he comes to. And it says, but he came to himself. He finally understood. He's like, whoa, what, what, what am I doing? How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, he gets up. In verse 20 it says, And he arose and came to his father. Now you have to understand, this is the son coming back to his father in filthy rags, feeding pigs. I'm sure he stunk. He was, he was dirty. And he, he's, he's in the worst condition he can be in. But listen to the words. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and then ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Not while he was clean. While he was still dirty. While he was still smelly. While he still looked like a beggar. That's when his father is just hugging him and kissing him. Moved with compassion for his son. And if you're ever a parent, you will understand the love a parent has for a child. And the, you, the, the, the compassion, the, the love was so great. And Jesus told this story to tell us that is God to us. To every single one of us. The heart of our Heavenly Father is He pours out His love and His compassion and He's been offering it all along. This beginning, this heart, this compassion for the lost, for those in rags, in their sins, because that's what His rags represented. He was still a mess. That love and compassion is the basis for the reason God has done everything he's ever done for us. Do you know why he sent Ezekiel the prophet? Out of love and compassion. Why did he send his only son? We sang it. For God so loved. Why does he do everything? Out of love and compassion. Now, do you know that the very reason Jesus has not yet returned is because of that same love and compassion? Listen to 2 Peter, first verse 4, then verse 9, chapter 3. But they will say, where is this coming, he promised. Now, they're scoffers. They're mockers. They're like, yeah, right, God's coming back. Yeah, when? Where is it? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the day beginning of creation. Oh, it's been thousands of years, and you're talking about God showing up. Right. But listen to verse 9. Peter makes it very clear. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Then he makes it clean, very clear. He is patient with you, 
not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The very reason he's holding off the second coming of Christ is because he wants to save as many as he can out of his love and compassion and patience because he doesn't want any to perish. I can hear Ezekiel looking at Peter going, I can hear you. That's exactly what he told me. He didn't want anybody to die. Turn and live. Peter, you're saying what I said. He doesn't want anybody to perish. That's the message that God has been saying since the beginning of the world through every messenger he's ever sent. Live life. Don't die. Don't, just turn from your sins and I will be compassionate and merciful. Jesus' whole parable, the father had compassion on the son. Why? Because his heart was so moved with compassion, all he could do was hug him and kiss him. Th this is the beginning of missions. Now, the gospel. In the Old Testament and in the New, God has continually sent his messengers with this message. It's a simple message. The gospel is not a message of condemnation. The gospel is not a message of judgment. The gospel is a message of mercy and grace. Now, we call it good news because it comes from the word that means good news. And if you've taken New Testament survey, and hopefully you have, the very good news itself was originally called the gospel. Evangelio, the gospel. It was the good news brought. Originally, even before that, it was the messenger. But we won't get into that. The point is, this victory in battle, that's what it was. So if, if King Fred had a kingdom, and his soldiers went to war, Elamites against, who else? Houghton. Yeah. And the Elamites win the battle. And I say to them, hey, we just defeated the enemy. Michael, go tell our king, victory is his. Exactly. That message was called good news. It's the good news of victory. And that is what Jesus used when he talked about go out and preach the gospel. It's good news, people. We have a good message. You know, right now, Christians are afraid to open their mouth. Right now, we're, everybody's offended at everything, and Christians have to be careful, and no matter what you say, somebody's going to be mad at you, and somebody's going to yell at you, I don't care, I've got good news. Turn and live. It's God is a God of compassion and mercy. He wants to save you. Good news. Now, listen, listen to John 3.16. You all know it. We have already quoted it. For God so loved, He loved so much the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him, what? Should go to hell. Exactly, yay. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen to the next verse, verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And I'm going to say something to you. I have the right because I'm a teacher here, and whether they yell at me or not, I'm going to do it anyway. You can yell later. I am sick and tired of seeing preachers in the internet condemning instead of preaching God's love and compassion. I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about people. 
See, it didn't say here, go out and tell those filthy sinners they are filthy sinners and you are just a rotten, no good, filthy sinner and God just can't wait to send you to hell and you are going down, buddy. God is going to, you're going you're gonna to burn. I'm going to turn that spit and watch you sizzle. That's not the message. I just turned on the internet yesterday. I was watching a stupid video. This pastor's up there going, you sinners need to repent and turn to God or you're going to burn forever. Ezekiel said the same thing. Judgment is coming, so don't die. Did you notice he said, turn and live? Do you notice he said, repent? Why should, I don't desire you to die. Please, if you're going to preach the gospel, you can talk about condemnation and judgment as long as you say there's a way out because the God that loves you has made a way out by sending his son. I, I just get so sick of it. Look, I, I, I absolutely do not want you to compromise and make it sound like sin is okay. But I don't preach against sin. I preach against death and a lifestyle of sin by preaching the good news of salvation. Turn and live. I just, it just gets me. I, I get so irritated with these people. I want to just smack them. I was listening to one and he was like, you, you're just, you're. I'm like, shut up. Just please say something positive so that they think Christians have a good message. Anyway, okay, I'm done preaching. Okay. But John 3, 16 and 17, Psalm 145, 8, Ezekiel, all have the same message. God does not want to condemn, he wants to save. That's the message. Now, I've said all of that to say this. God's heart is broken over the dying people in this world. I want you to hear that again. Think about what you were like before God saved you. His heart is broken when he looks at the lost. When he looks at the needy when he looks at people suffering, God, his heart is broken out of love and compassion. The Lord is gracious, full of mercy, full of compassion. The good news we believe is that. That's the message we preach. That's the message we believe. That's the message we have. So, now let's turn it to missions more directly. How many of you remember the story of Jonah? Good. I just preached a message recently in my church, and I was talking about, uh, <laughs> I was talking about Jonah, and I kept saying Job. My brain wasn't working. It happened, so I said it three times, and I thought, oh well, you know, everybody knows anyway, right? And as a lady was leaving the church that I thought was saved, she stood in because I greet people as they leave, and she was standing out there with her husband, I think, or boyfriend, or whatever it is. And said, um, who were those two guys you were talking about? And I said, you know, Jonah. I was like, Didn't, weren't you raised in the church? Well, in the Catholic church, yeah. Jonah and the big fish, the whale, nothing. Job, the guy who lost everything, never heard of him. And I'm thinking, wow. So I... I sincerely hope that when I say Jonah, I don't have to explain who here tonight, right? Does anybody here, anybody know Jonah? Good, okay. Because you never know. By the way, when you're preaching, never assume that your audience knows the Bible. 
because they don't. But anyway, <laughs> thank you, Rector. Um, sorry, what is it? In, uh, President Fred, thank you for reminding them to read their Bibles. Just do it. Anyway, <laughs> let me summarize the story for you. God shows up to this guy called Jonah and he says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrians, those awful people, and I want you to cry out against the city. Tell them the judgment is coming. So Jonah, being in Israel, is supposed to head east. And instead he heads west. He goes the opposite direction as fast as he can. Now, the Assyrians were cruel. They were violent. If you've watched VeggieTales, you know that. How many of you saw the VeggieTale thing with Jonah? Yeah. Taking the fish and slapping each other. Um, that was a great episode. I loved it. Very biblical. Jonah doesn't want to go to them because these people are cruel and vicious and they're his enemies. They hate Israel. They have attacked Israel. They have at times controlled Israel. They're all against Israel and Jonah's like, uh, no. So of course God is bigger than Jonah and God knows what he's doing so he sends a storm and we know the story. The storm is raging and they don't know what to do and they cast lots and all these things and they finally figure out, hey, Jonah, why are you sleeping and what happens when God's messengers run and go to sleep? And so he says, well, it's because of me. And, you know, if you throw me in the sea, it'll be good. And they're like, we don't want to kill you, dude. Come on. So they try not to, and they row harder, and it gets worse. And they're like, well, got no choice. Sorry. And they toss him in the sea. And God prepares this huge fish. Now, in the Old Testament, it's actually called a huge fish fish. Those are the words in Hebrew. In the New Testament in Matthew, it's called what? A sea monster. The literal words in Greek are a sea monster. It probably was not a whale, just to make sure you know. There's only one, maybe two kinds of whales in the world whose throat is large enough for a man to go down. They do exist, but they're very rare and there's not a lot of them, so it's probably not a whale. So please don't make the mistake of saying Jonah and the whale. It was Jonah and the large fish or the sea monster or whatever you want to call it. And he's in the fish and finally the fish, he repents and he prays and read his prayer sometime. He's got weeds wrapped around his head and he's like, I'm in Sheol, I'm in the pit and God hears me. And it's like, yeah, now you pray. But anyway which we tend to do. You know, we run from God, and then we're all religious all of a sudden. Oh, God, you're so great. It's like, yeah, right. I can see God just shaking his head. Yeah. So God tells the fish. The fish goes to the shore, spits him up. He's probably kind of pale. He's probably got the stomach acids all over him. He doesn't look too good. And he finally decides, fine, I'll go. And then a miracle happens. Not that he survived in the fish because that was a miracle because God had to keep him from being digested. Not that he survived three days and three nights. That was a miracle. A greater miracle happens. This horrible group of people repent. I mean, that's a miracle. How often do you see that? They repent. They cry out to God. The king himself puts on sackcloth. They're like, nobody eat. Everybody fast. Not even the animals. We better... Cry out to God, maybe he'll be merciful. And so God turns his wrath away. 
and doesn't do what he said. And this great man of God, in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, this is what we read. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. And when the first time I read that, I was like, really? Why? And then the next verse explains it, verse 2. He's angry, exceedingly displeased. He prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Listen to this idiot. I knew you were going to be good to them. That's why I ran. Because you're so compassionate. You're so full of love. You're so, you're so gracious. I knew. I knew. And I'm thinking, Jonah. But Jonah knew Ezekiel. He knew that God has no, death, no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He knew that God was gracious and compassionate. He knew that if the people repented, God would forgive them. And so... He knew that God's intent in sending him was to save them and not destroy them. See, I think Jonah knew the heart of God. The problem was, Jonah didn't have the heart of God. He knew the compassion of love of God, and he didn't have it. And because he didn't have it, he was happy to let them burn. More than that, Jonah hated them. And he did not want God to send them any kind of mercy. Now, we know the story. Jonah sits down to watch what's going to happen. And the plant grows up. And then the plant dies. And Listen to verse 10. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant, for which you did not work, and which did you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. And should I not have compassion on Nineveh? The great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and their left, as well as many animals. Do you know what he means by not knowing the difference between their right and their left? The same thing Jesus said on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're blind in sin. They're, they're captivated by the power of darkness. Their hearts are cold. They don't understand that they're dying, that they're hurting each other, that they're turning against you. They need to hear the truth. They need to hear the message. Father, forgive them. From the cross, he's saying the same thing. God was so filled with love and compassion for the Ninevites that he sent Jonah to save them, and Jonah was so filled with a lack of compassion and love that he went the other way because he knew God was going to save him. Now, why am I saying all of this? Luke 15.10 says, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents and Jonah was exceedingly displeased can you see that there's a problem here can you see why because he did not have God's heart for the people before you decide to try to figure out if you should go to the mission field or not go to the mission field you need to ask yourself do you have a Jonah heart or a God heart because people put the cart before the horse. They start 
sit here and they question, God, are you sending me? Stop. Stop. It doesn't matter whether or not he's sending you if your heart's not right. And if your motivation isn't right, you shouldn't go. Now, I'm a pastor now, and I have sent over the years many missionaries. I used to work at Elam Fellowship as a missions director. As a matter of fact, when they were talking in their, their session about starting up the coffee house, we sat how many hours talking about that? My job was to help missionaries go. I believe in missions. I love missions. I was a missionary for 18 years. Okay? And I have been to more missions conferences than probably most of you can imagine. I've been a Christian this year 40 years. And over and over and over in missions conferences, I have seen passion, uh, pastors and missions directors and missionaries try to inspire and motivate and, and, and stir up people to get them to be passionate about missions and evangelism and reaching the nations. And they'll come in and they'll do all kinds of tricks and all kinds of sermons and all kinds of things and just like get them excited. And sometimes I've seen it work and people are like jumping up and down and amazingly all passionate and then... A week later, all the excitement wears off and nothing changes. And I have seen a good many God-fearing disciples of Christ go to the mission field, give money to missions, pray for missionaries out of obligation and duty. I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm saying that's not the best. God wants it. I need to do it. If I don't do it, I'm doing wrong. I want to please God. Fine. But again, if all you have is obedience out of obligation and duty, do it. But you need to work on something. You know how you can tell if it's obligation or duty? If there's joy in it. Because when you go because you know, because it's, it's right, there's joy. When you go or do something out of obligation, it's like writing papers for my classes. <laughs> there's no joy in it. It's, oh God, please. Just let me, just let me, just don't, just, please God. Amen. I have even heard sermons where the speaker, maybe with good intent, tried to use guilt. Now, guilt's a powerful thing. Catholics have a good thing on guilt. They really know how to use it. Um, some spouses know guilt well, you know. Not mine. But I've heard things like this. If you aren't actively involved in missions, then you're being disobedient to God. So, obey. I've actually heard people say, it was said to me when I was sitting right where you are. I remember I, this, this had more chairs in it and these, that wall wasn't there, so it was moved back a little. But I was sitting back in that corner and the preacher that stood up here during missions week my first year said this. 
God has blessed you so richly and so much, how could you be so selfish as to keep it to yourself? And I remember kind of sinking down in my chair a little bit. I don't want to be selfish. I even heard a person say, and this is no exaggeration, a preacher trying to get people to go to the mission field said, if you're not mission-minded, you can't call yourself a Christian. And I was like, dang, that's hardcore. Guilt. You see, the truth is there's only one motivation for ever going to the mission field. There's only one motivation for giving money. There's only one motivation for getting on your knees and praying for the missionaries. One, and only one. The compassion and mercy and grace and love that God has in his heart is in mine. That's the only reason. You see, the love and compassion that God has is the very central core of why he sent his son and why he sends us. And if we don't carry the same heart, we're going for the wrong reason. And I remember trying to figure out, am I a missionary? Am I not a missionary? Am I called to missions? Am I not called to missions? And it turned out I was both, both missions and U.S. And I think a lot of us are. And you'll find in your life that things will change. And now you're not, and now you are. And hey, it changes all the time. But the call of God to have a heart of compassion never changes. So it doesn't matter whether you're here or not. Now, I do believe some of you are called to go to the nations. I do believe some of you will go, and some of you are called to actually take that step. But I don't care whether you are or not, because that's between you and God, and it may take you five or ten years to figure that out, or you might figure it out tomorrow. Some of you God will speak to like that, and some of you will just struggle to figure out what God's will is for you. If your heart is filled with compassion, guess what? It won't wear off. You won't leave here tonight and go, man, this is exciting. I want to go to China. No, wait, I want to go to Africa. No, wait, that's a whole continent. I got to, I'll go to the Congo. No, 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 wait, wait. I think Hawaii is better. (laughs) Right? You and me, God, Hawaii, the beach. I mean, the people. (laughs) I don't want you to consider going until you can honestly look me in the eye and say, I'm heartbroken for those people. Because if you say that, then I know you're ready to go. And if it takes you a year to get there, or five years to get there, or 20 years to get there, you will go. Because nothing will stop you. Because your heart just aches and breaks and needs to. That's what missions are all about, loving people. It's not about going or not going. It's about being heartbroken for those people and hearing the very voice that Ezekiel said, don't die, live. I have good news for you. Now, I'm just going to say it clearly. Answering the call to missions is answering to call the call to serve the ones that you love and are brokenhearted for. Answering the call to missions is not a call to go. It's a call to serve because you're brokenhearted and filled with compassion and love. That's the call to mission. And people, I remember, I won't say who, he kept pointing to the map and he kept going, all right, wait for it because somewhere up there is your place. And I remember I got so fixated and focused on where 
I never even thought of why. I don't want to be selfish. I, I, I want to be a good Christian. I, I want to be missions-minded. I want to do what's right. God, obviously, if that's what you want, okay, you just tell me where and I'll go. And then three days later, I'm thinking, he didn't tell me where and I really don't want to. I mean, I, I want to go if you want me to go, but I don't want to go myself. I mean, I don't like eating monkey brains. <laughs> and I don't want to go anyplace south because there's a lot of bugs and I'm bugs like me and no. And I don't want to go north because it's cold and I hate the cold. Like somewhere right in the middle. And all the while, I was missing the why. And then I met my wife. And my love for her turned into a love for her people. And that's when I understood mission. You get the point? So tonight, what I want you to do, I can't see what time it is. What time is it? Okay, I have to take my glasses off or I can't read this. Tonight, I want you to forget all about the where, the how, and the when. That will come in its own season. And there are great people to help you figure that out, by the way. Two of them are sitting right over here on this corner. They, they can help you figure out where, when, and how. But tonight I just want you to ask yourself, is my heart really broken for anybody? Am I being pushed and motivated by compassion? Do I see the lost as lost? And it, and it just, it, it hurts my heart? And if you can answer that question, you'll get to the how, the where the when. Okay? So I want us to pray. And, and, and I know it's late and you're tired, so stand up. <laughs> I know those prayers when you're tired and you're sitting down. Those are kind of, Lord, uh, I want us to just take five minutes, three minutes, whatever it's going to take, and I want us to bear our hearts before God and say, God, is my heart really genuinely filled with your heart? Because otherwise, why am I even doing this? And if you don't have that heart, all it takes is a prayer for God to change it. That, that, it's really all it takes. So let's pray. Let's just take a moment and pray. If you want a gentleman with the music... Because I really want us to, to, to touch the heart of God and to get the heart of God. Let's pray. Father, I'm going to begin. I'm going to start this prayer. And I want to thank you that at one point you opened my eyes that my heart was not right. Lord, I thank you that there was a time in my life when you showed me that I had all the wrong reasons. I had the right thing and the wrong reasons. And I thank you, Lord, that you're slow to anger even with me. And you're patient even in my own stupidity. And Lord, I want to pray right now for these students. Lord, touch their heart in a way that only you can. Lord, get through all the fears and the worries and the concerns 
about all the logistics, get through all the fears and the worries and the concerns about the what-ifs, and just fill their hearts with compassion and mercy and grace and love. Lord, more than anything else, we want to be a people with your heart so that you can use us and send us wherever you want, whenever you want. And as we saw Karis and Josiah just going, Lord, they went because they wanted to, because they care, because they love. Lord, I want that heart for everyone here.